Tonight, the Word of God that we read is James chapter 1. I've been preaching a series on this book, or just begun a series on this book in my own congregation, and in God's providence, the next passage we are up to is verses 9, 10, and 11, which is the text tonight, which is fitting uh, on the occasion of the new year. Because I've been preaching this as a series in my own congregation, we've been reading this chapter. So this morning, we actually read Luke 12, uh, which gives the parable of that rich man who built storehouses, built store barns, and then said, soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be recovered, uh, shall be required of thee. And then I alluded to that parable in the sermon, which I might do yet tonight. So uh, that parable is from Luke 12, if you want to glance at that later on. But we pick up uh, the reading of God's Word in James 1, chapter, uh, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren... Count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and a flower thereof falleth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, Slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. 
But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God is forever. I call your attention to verses 9, 10, and 11 as the text of the sermon tonight. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away, for the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, as those who live in the Western world, we are generally more well-off than a lot of Christians who live in other parts of the world. And on account of that, I think it's fairly common for us to pray for those Christians who live in other parts of the world who are not as well-off as we are. That's a way to recognize the trials that are faced by God's people around the world. There are Christians, for example, who face persecution in places like North Korea and China. And there are Christians who face trials of war in places like Ukraine and the Middle East. And there are Christians who face trials of poverty in places like Haiti and Africa. When we pray for these Christians... Often what is behind our prayer is a desire for their their relief. Our desire in the prayer is that the persecution would come to an end, that the wars would be finished, that the poverty would be reduced or relieved. And there's good reason to make prayers like that, to pray for the relief of the suffering of God's saints. Yet I wonder sometimes, and maybe you've wondered this too, if those... Christians, those children of God who live in other parts of the world where they experience such trials and such wants, were to look over at us and were to go before God in prayer about us and to intercede for us, what kind of petitions would they make? And I wonder if it would go something like this. Well, Father... They're so rich. They have so much. So much time, so much money that they can take a week, maybe two weeks off and go on vacation. They have so much food in their cupboards and in their freezers that it will last them not just for tomorrow, but for weeks, maybe even months in advance. They have so much. They're so rich. Father, let them not be deceived. Let them not be deceived. Let them not say what that foolish man in Jesus' parable once said when he noticed 
how much wealth he had. Soul, take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. If there are Christians in other places who pray that way for us, then they are very much in line with James and the instruction that James is giving in our text tonight. Now, James is not here in this text to condemn riches as such or to condemn rich people for having riches. James is not either here to tell us that poor people are more righteous just because they are poor. But what he wants us to understand is that our rejoicing as Christians, as the children of God, has little, if nothing, to do with our riches or poverty. And it has everything to do with the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ. Whether we are humbled in this life or lifted up, our rejoicing, our joy, has everything to do, not with our riches, but with the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ. And judging by the standards in the world, that's an odd place to find your joy and an odd rejoicing. And that's why the theme of the sermon tonight is the Christian's odd rejoicing. The first point that we will notice is the oddness of this rejoicing. And then secondly, that even though it's odd, or at least seems odd on the surface of it, this is in fact wisdom. This is the biblical, scriptural wisdom that we would rejoice as the brother of low degree and that we are exalted, or as the rich brother and that we are made low. And then we'll conclude by noticing the beauty of this. The beauty, of course, not as men count beauty, but the beauty of it in the eyes of God. So the Christian's odd rejoicing, the oddness of it, the wisdom of it, and the beauty of it. Now compared to conventional wisdom, or what we might call the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of human beings, the word that James gives to the brother of low degree in verse 9 is odd. In verse 9, he says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. That he is the brother of low degree means that he is poor. So in terms of earthly possessions, in terms of material wealth, in terms of his status among men, this is an individual who has little. He has to work hard every day from dawn to dusk just to put a little food on the table for his family. James was, of course, writing a long time ago in an ancient world. And this was a real difficulty for many of the people to whom he was addressing in this letter. There was no such thing in the ancient Roman world as a middle class. You were either of high status, and then you were of very high status, or you were of low degree, and potentially of very low degree. Those who were of low degree lacked usually the privileges and the protections of Roman citizenship. They had to work and work and work constantly just to survive. Some of them may even have been slaves, which means that they had no recognized rights whatsoever. And if this man is a man who confesses Jesus Christ, and that's who James is talking about here, the brother of low degree, then his status in the world would have been even lower. James addresses his epistle 
in verse 1, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, which is more than likely a scattering that happened because of the persecution that was happening already in the early New Testament church. So he's writing to the persecuted saints. So if it's not bad enough that you are a brother of low degree who endures economic hardship and lowly status, add to this the reproach of Christ, the insults, the mockery, sometimes the violent opposition against you and your faith. And yet James says about this brother of low degree that he should rejoice. Let the brother of low degree rejoice. Imagine that. Rejoice. Don't just endure. Don't just put up with it and press on under the load of difficulties that is your everyday life, but lift up your voice and sing and rejoice. Specifically, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, James says. Now that does not mean that there is a, has been a sudden change in this man's economic status now that he's become a brother or now that he has faith as if faith means that now you become wealthy. No, he's still the brother of low degree and very likely he's going to remain the brother of low degree all of his earthly pilgrimage. Nevertheless, James says, let him rejoice in that he is exalted. So don't just rejoice in spite of your lowly circumstances and don't rejoice as an act of defiance against your lowly circumstances, but rejoice in your lowly circumstances as one who is exalted. That's what he's saying. And that's why I say that's an odd thing to say, judging by the conventional wisdom of this world or what would seem instinctive to us. It's really the opposite of what the brother of low degree would be inclined to do. What the brother of low degree is going to be inclined to do is not to rejoice, but to grumble. What the brother of low degree is going to be inclined to do is not to rejoice, but to become perhaps cynical about my lowly place and my lowly station in this life. Or maybe even to look for ways to turn the tables on his rich neighbors. Why, why should I be the brother of low degree when he over there gets to be the rich person, the rich man, the rich brother? How's that fair? It's a strange calling which goes against our own personal human instincts. It also goes against what society and what the world would tell this brother of low degree to think and how to act. What society and what the world would say is something like this. Well, don't, don't waste your time grumbling, but don't rejoice either. You just need to, to put up with this. This is your place. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do to change it. You just got to Shoulder the load and press on. You're lowly. Others are of high status. And that's just the way it is. So just get over it. Or maybe society would say this. You know, you're right. You're right to grumble. 
You're right to complain. It's not fair. You ought to level the playing field somehow. You need to bring that rich man down a few notches. Bring him down to your level and raise your own place in the world. Change things. Revolutionize things. But what would not come as instinctive and what the world would not say is what James says. Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice not only in spite of circumstances, but in those circumstances. Rejoice as somebody who's, though my clothes are still perhaps bland, though my position in life is perhaps still lowly, Rejoice as one who is exalted. That's odd. Strange. Perhaps as you look back on the previous year, the oddness of what James is telling us here in verse 9 strikes you in a certain way. No doubt for many of us, perhaps all of us, the year 2022 was a year of trials and tribulations. And even though in the Western world, as we acknowledged in the beginning, we enjoy a, generally speaking, more exalted uh, status, nevertheless, we have trials and tribulations in life that can make us feel pretty low. Maybe you stood by the graveside of a loved one in this past year or waited helplessly in the hospital reception area for the outcome of a surgery for your child or your spouse. Maybe you worked and worked and worked every day, and even though you worked from dawn to dusk, you only earned a pretty basic living and had great financial burdens that you had to carry with you. Maybe you tried to do good to help somebody, a family member who is going wayward and you were only met with obstacles and disappointments because the person wouldn't receive your help and it makes you feel pretty low. What does James say? He says rejoice. What? Rejoice? Rejoice? I can understand if you would come and Express sympathy to me. Maybe tell me that you're praying for me, but you're going to tell me to rejoice? As we look to the coming year, maybe we also wonder about this rejoicing. We see forces rumbling at work in the world that are eating away those privileges that we have mentioned as those who live in the Western world. There's wars going on and rumors of wars. There's inflation and economic changes. There's political divisions. We wonder, we wonder, are we on the brink of some kind of disaster? And what about the church? Is the church going to be thrown into more chaos, more turmoil, perhaps persecution? We don't know. But we have all kinds of ideas and speculations and we're wondering. But probably the last thing that we're thinking about is rejoicing. But James says this. 
If the economy collapses and you lose everything and you become a brother of low degree, rejoice. If you stand for biblical morality and stand for your faith in Jesus Christ and because of that stand you are persecuted, rejoice. Rejoice in that you are exalted. Isn't that an odd thing? James has something equally odd to say to the brother who is rich. Now, first of all, as we look at verse 10, let's be clear that the rich man who is identified there is indeed a rich brother. It doesn't say the rich brother and that he is made low, but that's clearly the implication. And we clarify this because there are some who deny it. There are some who read this uh, passage and they say that James's point is to denounce the rich for being rich. That that's James's point here. That it's really something that the rich ought to feel guilty about, that they are rich, and that James is calling down judgment upon them for being rich and for having that, in terms of earthly uh, status and comforts, exalted status. And that when the sun rises and withers away, the grass and the flower of the field, what James is uh, alluding there to is the judgment of God, the judgment of hell and damnation on, on the rich. And it is true, if you read through the book of James, that James has some pretty pointed things to say about the rich in terms of the way that they were perhaps abusing their position in the church or even elsewhere outside of the church. But to read into verse 10 a condemnation of the rich for being rich does not fit with the language. What James is doing here is clearly making a comparison Just as he says that the brother of low degree ought to rejoice and that he is exalted, so we have to supply the word brother and the word rejoice. But the the rich brother, let him rejoice in that he is made low. And there's no hint of irony in this at all. It's straightforward. And furthermore, it really goes against the testimony of the Bible to bring a condemnation of the rich simply for being rich. There are plenty of examples in the Bible of rich believers, believers who had wealth and earthly status. There's Abraham. Abraham who was wealthy enough to have his own army, his own private army, by which he rescued Lot from the king of Sodom or or, uh, from the other kings. There was Solomon, of course, who was basically the wealthiest man alive in the time and place that he lived. And there's New Testament examples as well. There's Joseph of Arimathea, there's Lydia, there's Barnabas, and others. James's point here is not to condemn the rich for being rich. But notice that James does not call the rich man to rejoice in that he is exalted. That's what he said to the brother of low degree. Let him rejoice in that he's exalted. But that's not what he says to the rich man. That is what people tend to do by human nature. 
When a man strikes it rich, he often begins to rejoice in this exalted status that he now has received, and he begins to show it off. So all of a sudden, whereas before he used to drive a clunker around, now he drives around a very expensive, shiny new car. And he trades his plain clothes for top-of-the-line name-brand items. And the message often when people do this sort of thing is this. I'm not a brother of low degree. I'm not a person of low degree. I'm a man of high status. I'm a man of wealth. I'm a man of station. A man who should be looked up to and respected. And it becomes a way of boasting. And it works. Because human beings love to watch that sort of thing. Just look at the world that we live in today. How people watch what's going on in the entertainment industry and the so-called celebrities and everything that's going on with the rich and famous. James does not even bother to call this out. It's obvious that that kind of behavior is pride. That kind of behavior is exactly the kind of spirit that was in that rich man in Jesus' parable who said, Soul, take thine ease and eat and drink and be merry. He trusted in his riches. He built up his barns. Well, the rich man's rejoicing in his riches and in his exalted status may impress other men around him, but it doesn't impress God. God says, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. Don't rejoice in your exalted status in this world. Don't rejoice in your riches. Rejoice in this, James says, and that you are made low. In that you are made low. If the rich man is truly a brother, and that's who James is addressing, then he's made low. Maybe he's made low in this way because he confesses Jesus Christ and now lives according to the scriptures. Others begin to look at him in a different way. And they begin to look at him cross-eyed, perhaps. And his peers and colleagues who share that exalted, wealthy status with him begin to look down their noses at him. And remember that James is writing in the days of the early New Testament church. And so Christianity was a relatively new thing. And people were reacting to it often with disgust. What? Really? You believe in that, that person, Jesus of Nazareth, who was executed on a Roman cross? You're part of that sect? Those Christians? Those followers of Christ? What's wrong with you? You're a brother of high degree. Better things are expected of you than that. But there's also this sense in which the brother of low degree, or the, the rich brother, is made low. If he does believe in Jesus Christ, what he's acknowledging by his faith 
is that his exalted status and his riches will not save him. What he is acknowledging by his faith is that he can build barns and he can wear fancy clothes. But when that night comes, when God requires his soul of him, he's going to be stripped naked and he's going to fall into the hands of his creator. And before God, the rich man is no different than any other man. He's a creature, a small, insignificant creature made of dust, blowing in the wind. And what's more, if he's a brother, if he believes in Jesus Christ, then he confesses himself to be a sinner. That's what I am, a sinner. In some ways, the rich brother may be even more of a sinner than the brother of low degree. Let me qualify that and explain that. Riches come with temptations, don't they? Riches come with multiple opportunities to sin that the brother of low degree doesn't have. Why is it that Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven? He's acknowledging that fact. It's hard to put your trust in God, in a living God, when you have store barns full of grain and money and wealth. But if the rich man is a brother, if he has his faith in Jesus Christ, he recognizes his neediness. I may be rich in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God, I'm no different than a beggar. That's what I am. I'm a beggar. I'm like Lazarus. Lazarus in that other parable of Jesus who was lying on the street with the dogs licking his sores. Needy. I need compassion. I need a Savior. I need, a, I need God. I need God to show me mercy. may not be a lowliness of circumstances, but it's a lowliness of spirit. And James says, rejoice in that lowliness. Rejoice in the way the gospel sheds light on who and what you really are. Riches are deceptive. They make us think that we're great when in fact we're small and insignificant sinners. So rejoice in that you are made low, James says. Now that might seem like odd and strange instruction in our ears, and in the world it is very odd and very strange indeed. But it's really the height of wisdom what James is saying here. James is teaching us about wisdom in the context. He brought the topic of wisdom up back in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And the reason that you should ask wisdom is so that God will bring you to maturity, will make you perfect and entire, wanting nothing as you endure the trying of your faith. So you need wisdom. Now wisdom means a lot of things, but simple, at its simplest Definition is simply adapting your life to God's truth. Sometimes we think wisdom is something complex, but it's really not all that complex. In fact, you have 
Some people who have very complex ways of thinking, and yet they don't have wisdom. All of their complex ways of thinking they, in fact, use to hold the truth under in unrighteousness, as Paul says in Romans 1. And there are others who are very simple in their understanding. They know some things, but they don't know a lot of things, and yet they have wisdom. Children can have the wisdom of God. It's not just about what you know. It's about how you respond to the truth. Sometimes truth that is very obvious and on the surface. And that can be understood as plain as day by anybody whose eyes are open. Well, the truth that God makes plain about all men, really, but then also about rich men, is that inevitably they will be made low. That's simply reality. That's truth as God reveals it, not just in His Word, but even in general revelation. Inevitably, the rich man will be made low. Now, he may try to deny this and hold the truth under in unrighteousness. He may build up his barns. He may hire nutrition experts and fitness coaches to try to make his life last as long as possible. He may build monuments to his name to try to ensure that his legacy goes on and on and on into the ages. But the truth that nature itself declares is that the rich man will inevitably be made low. Whether he wants that to be the case or not is beside the point. He shall be made low. Everybody can see, even the littlest children, what happens to a flower. A beautiful flower that grows up on the grass, on the plants. What happens to it? I remember one spring day, I was pulling out of my driveway and looking in the landscape, and there was this poppy plant growing. There was just one poppy plant in the landscape. And it had a big bud on it, and I was watching, waiting for it to open up. And that morning, the flower had opened up, and there were these beautiful, bright red petals, almost like a neon color, radiant, stood out over against all the other plants and all the other vegetation in the landscape. And then I drove off, and I did whatever business I had to do that day at work, and I came home at the end of the day, pulled into the driveway, and looked for that poppy plant. And every single one of those petals had fallen to the ground and was curled up in the dust, in the dirt. That's what James is talking about in verse 11. The sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth. It droopeth over, and the grace of the fashion of it, its beauty, perishes. So after all of those petals fell off the poppy plant and curled up in the dust, all you have is this, this ugly stalk standing there. It's all that's left. And then the end of verse 11. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. All the transactions that he makes over the course of his life, all the time invested 
and do his business. All the money that he spends building bigger things and better things, all the splendor, all the wealth, it seems so important, so significant when it's running through your fingers. But it's going to be like the petals that fell off that poppy plant and curled up in the dust and left nothing but an ugly stalk sticking out of the dirt. All flesh is grass. The brother of low degree and the rich man alike. And like grass, they shall wither and fade away. Folly is to notice this truth that everybody must notice because it's right there on the surface and then to go on denying it. Folly is to notice this truth and then to become even more determined to hold on to that status, hold on to those riches. There are men like that who become desperate. Let me not lose my high and exalted status. Let me not lose my riches. I'll do anything. What did Jesus say about that? He said that the man who tries to save his life in that way, tries to cling to the things that he had in this life, he's going to lose his life. This folly. Wisdom, says James, is to rejoice. Let the rich brother rejoice in that he is made low. Let the rich brother rejoice when the passage of time makes it obvious that all of those riches that he had really in the end don't mean a whole lot at all. Let him rejoice as moth and rust corrupt, as thieves break through and steal, as wars and rumors of wars and inflation and political corruption make our place in this world seem to crumble and fall apart. Let him rejoice. Why? Because the more I die to this life and the more I die to the glories of this life, the more I live into Christ and to His glories. The more my treasure is not here below on this earth, the more my treasure is in heaven, and there my heart will be also. Rejoice in that you are made low, rich Christian. For you know, though God resists the proud, to the humble he gives grace. And you can see how the same wisdom will apply then to the brother of low degree. What's folly for the brother of low degree? Folly is to live in envy of the rich. Folly is to attach happiness or the lack of happiness to material things. And especially is that folly for the Christian, for the Christian who is exalted in Christ. Even if he's the brother of low degree in this world, he is exalted in Christ. He dwells in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has the gift of the Holy Spirit. He has riches. It's like if you give a child a beautiful steak dinner, a fancy meal on a special occasion. Maybe you did that recently for Christmas or New Year's. 
And then that child becomes envious because he's looking at the chicken nuggets that the other kids are eating. Why live controlled by lusts and desires for what others have and for earthly riches, which probably will never be yours when you already have greater riches in Christ Jesus? That's folly. Wisdom is when you see that you, brother of low degree, have great cause for rejoicing. You have riches. These are your riches. That God loves you. Think about that. All those rich, successful people out there in the world that we call celebrities. Does God love them? All their wealth, all their status, all their exaltation, doesn't that mean that God loves them? No. He's setting them in slippery places. He's casting them down to destruction. He loves you. He loves his people. He loves the poor brother who can barely make ends meet. I mean, he lives somewhere where there's not a good economy and there's not wealth like we have here. He loves the brother, the sister, who has to work every day. Loves that person. Your riches are that in Jesus Christ you have an inheritance in heaven. Your riches are that you have Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who lowered himself, lowered himself far below any lowly status that you or I will ever experience, lowered himself even into the depths of hell, lowered himself into the wrath of God, endured the horrors of hell on the cross as your servant so that you might be lifted up into heavenly places and enjoy the riches of heaven and have a mansion that he is now preparing for you as the ascended Christ. I go, he says, to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be there with me also in glory. Rejoice. The response of wisdom to such blessings is to rejoice. None of this, of course, is to take away that there are real difficulties and challenges that come to the brother of low degree. James is not saying we should pretend like suffering doesn't exist or that pain is not real. He's not teaching us to be Stoics. He's not either taking away the calling of those who do have a, a, a more wealthy position in life to notice that there are brothers of low degree and to be cheerful givers and to be, have a generous spirit. That's the example of the New Testament church. They had all things in common. The example is the example of Barnabas who gave to care for others. Well, the point of James is this, that our joy as Christians does not depend on earthly circumstances. 
And the rich brother who finds joy in his riches needs to examine his heart and pray that God will make him low. And the brother of low degree who can't find any joy because he doesn't have riches also needs to examine his heart and pray that God will set before his mind the truth that he has a heavenly inheritance, that he has treasures in heaven. When the people of God are able to lay hold of that wisdom, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful because this is where all true joy comes from, beloved. This is where true joy comes from. Probably the biggest lie that has ever been told is that true joy comes from having riches. Probably the biggest lie that has ever been told is that you can't be happy unless you have everything that you want in this life. Just look at the effects of that lie in the world around us. Murder, wars, envy, rioting, looting, corruption. Where does all that come from? Well, the Bible tells us it comes from the love of money. What is the love of money, according to Paul? It's the root of all evil. And the ironic thing is that even the people who believe this lie know that it's not true. Everybody knows there's no true happiness in money and in having stuff. Everybody knows that the richest and most successful people in the world are often the least happy of all. What do they do? They run from party to party, from marriage to marriage, from one self-promotion to another self-promotion. And why do they do that? It's to feed the emptiness in their soul. It's sad and ugly. God did not create human beings to live like that. He created them to live in joy. He created them to live in happiness. Originally in the Garden of Eden. And I know the Garden of Eden was a paradise. It was a place of plenty. But that's not really what the happiness and joy of Eden was all about. It wasn't just that there was plenty of fruit on the trees and that the weather was nice. It was about living with God. It was about existing to do His will, to walk with Him in the cool of the day, to display His image in all of your life and righteousness, holiness, and knowledge. Those are the riches that Adam and Eve enjoyed in paradise. It was the riches of the glory of God. And those are the riches that God's people are going to enjoy in the paradise that is to come. They will see the face of Jesus Christ. They will drink the water of life that comes out of his throne. That's beautiful. That's human life as God designed it to be and as God now elevates it in Christ Jesus. And what we need to understand, beloved, is that we, we have this. You, brother of low degree, have this. You, rich brother who believes in him, you have this. 
If you are a brother, then you are a brother of Jesus Christ through the shed blood of his cross. And according to the eternal election of God, you belong to his family. Rejoice. Have joy. And the beauty is also this. That more than anything, when the Christian rejoices in this way, this reveals the power of God and of the power of his grace. It's odd when a person, it's odd in the world and in the way that men think when a, when a poor brother rejoices in his lowly circumstances in that he is exalted, or when a rich brother rejoices in that he is made low. That's odd. It goes against our natural instincts. It goes against the way people say the world should, should operate. But when a Christian goes and does that, when he rejoices as an exalted prince of God, even though his station is lowly, or when he rejoices because he has lost his earthly status, because he's a believer in Jesus Christ, that shows that God is at work. He's at work. He's at work doing the impossible in the eyes of men. He's threading a camel through the eye of a needle. He's bringing sinful people like you and me who don't know how to deal rightly with riches or with anything. And he's bringing them into the kingdom of God despite ourselves. And that's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing to see God at work. To see the grace of God at work. So rejoice. And let the year 2023 be a year of rejoicing in the God who lifts the poor and makes them great and who fills with joy the desolate, who condescends to see and know the things in heaven and earth below. Rejoice in that God, your God. Whether that's an odd rejoicing in the eyes of men or not, rejoice in him. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank Thee for the gift that we have by faith in Christ, that we have riches and that we have exaltation. We pray, give us eyes to see it and to appreciate it and let all that we have in our earthly circumstances, whether they be high or low, fade into the background as we fix our attention on Jesus Christ and His glories and His beauty. And let our treasure be in heaven. Forgive, Father, when we have not done this. Forgive when we have in pride lifted ourselves up or treasured our earthly things more than thee. And correct us and lead us in the way of true repentance and in the way of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.